when we talk about adoption, I think it's easy to focus on a couple who have discerned that the Lord is calling them to adopt. And that is a beautiful part of an adoption story. And it's one that I've featured on past letters to an episodes, in fact. But I think that the other side of the story, this experience of a woman making an adoption plan for her unborn child, is something that we do not focus on enough. What does it look like to be truly pro-life and to support these women at all stages of their motherhood? Hey there, welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where we explore and embrace the feminine genius in our everyday lives as Catholic women. I'm Chloe Langer, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with Michaela Carmichael. When she was 17 years old, Michaela chose adoption for her daughter, and we talk about her experience making an adoption plan, the resources that she wished would have existed during that season of her life, and the advice and encouragement that she would give to women who find themselves in a similar situation of considering adoption for their children. Maybe you clicked play on this episode because you're in a situation where you're discerning adoption for your baby, or maybe you want to learn more about supporting women as they make an adoption plan in the face of an unexpected pregnancy. Regardless of the place or the season that you find yourself in as you tune in to this conversation, sister, this letter is for you. This episode of the Letters to Women podcast is sponsored by the Little Catholic Box. The Little Catholic Box is a quarterly subscription box for Catholic women. Each quarter, Erica curates a bunch of fun, unique Catholic items around a spiritual theme. It is a delight for subscribers. It's a blessing to artists and creators and small businesses whose items are featured in the boxes. I recently received their third quarter box in the mail, and I loved getting to know new Catholic makers who were featured around this theme of our sense of smell during the liturgy and the reception of the sacraments. So one of my favorite things from the box, which was so much fun to unpack, is a chrism-scented oil that I love diffusing around the house on Sundays. The Little Catholic Box only offers a limited number of subscriptions each quarter, and the sign-up window closes at the end of September. So if you want to try them out, Visit thelittlecatholicbox.com slash LTW by the end of September, and you will get an exclusive bonus in your box that is only available to Letters to Women listeners. Sign up now for the next box that will ship the first week of November. Now, let's get into this conversation with Michaela. Today, I am welcoming Michaela Carmichael to the Letters to Women podcast. Michaela, welcome to Letters to Women. It is so good to have you on the show. Yes, thank you so much for asking me to come on. So earlier this summer, you'd reached out to me and shared your story, and I'm honored to have you on the podcast. And today, together, we're going to be talking about adoption and healing and motherhood. But to start us off and kind of frame our conversation today, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Yeah, so the short version is I am a convert. So I am only 22 years old, and I converted at the age of 15. I was a sophomore in high school. I was raised Methodist. Um, kind of non-denominational, but my mother was Methodist and my dad was Catholic. My dad was not practicing. And so I was in the habit of going to church with my mother's family. We moved closer to my dad's family and I kept that habit of going to church, but church for my dad's family was mass. And so I did that for a couple of years and finally was like, I'm missing something. Going, Just going to mass and not being able to participate in Holy Communion, not have been baptized yet. I just felt like God was calling me to something different because I've always felt his love for me, no matter what my situation was. And so I was a sophomore in high school and I decided that it was a good time for me to go through the RCIA program. And I received all of my you know, sacraments. I did confirmation, first communion and um, baptism that, at that time. And it was absolutely beautiful. And since then, my story has been a roller coaster of... Still being Catholic, I've never left the church and 
kind of just struggling with where I'm going and what I'm doing. But at this point, as a Catholic woman, I got married in the church last year, and we are foster parents now through an awesome organization here on Guam, and just really enjoying that you know, extra burst of convert life, because I think converts are a little extra in their Catholicness <laughs> than cradle Catholics. <laughs> As the cradle Catholic, I totally agree. You are 100% right. <laughs> uh, so when you had reached out via email, you were talking to me about your story that includes making a plan for adoption when you found out that you were pregnant in high school. Can you tell me a little bit more about that season of your story what made you consider and choose adoption for your daughter? And while you were making that plan, did you have anybody supporting you through that process? Yes. Yeah, so my adoption story is a little bit different than the average person. I found out I was pregnant really late into my pregnancy. I suffer from some medical complications that make things like that really difficult. And so my adoption plan did not look like this glorious, like from the beginning, I found out I was pregnant early and made this decision. So I did not decide adoption until the day she was born and even, you know, hours after that. And so I knew that the second I found out that I was pregnant, that abortion was not an option. I knew in the back of my head, I said, I'm a Catholic. I know that I'm really struggling with my faith right now. Uh, I know that God still loves me. And I know that I'm I'm going to Mass every Sunday, but I'm not connected to Mass every Sunday. I'm going because I take my grandma and I love her, uh, but I'm not going because I'm really in this. You know, obviously, I'm struggling with these sins and I'm doing these things. And so, but I knew, like, I felt God tell me, like, your options are to keep her. And so I said, okay, that's this is what I'm going to do. This is what God's calling me to. And so I let my dad know and I let my grandma know. She's my best friend. And through that whole process, we um, went through it and we were like, you know, this is just kind of the cross I'm bearing. And I really struggle with feeling like, how am I going to be able to provide enough? I know that she will be so loved, that the love that I will give her will be the same love that she could receive from anybody. But that physical gift of giving her a place to live and giving myself those things. You know, I was 17 years old. I didn't turn 18 until the March after she was born. And so I was thinking about, You know, my dad was supporting me so much, but what burden was I putting on him? What burden was I putting on my siblings? What burden was I putting on, you know, everyone around me? In addition to the fact that my parents supported me a lot. My grandma, amazing Catholic woman, supported me a lot. But I was very fearful of what the church was going to think. Because where my grandparents went to church, they're Methodist, and my grandpa's a Methodist preacher. And it was common to see younger women single moms, having babies, younger, older, anywhere in between. But in the Catholic church, I remember sitting there in my room and I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at our congregation in my head and I'm saying, there's, I do not see a single mom by herself. And I remember thinking, that's going to be me. And how everyone is going to look at me because of the expectations that they have for me. And looking back now, and even six months after our adoption was finalized, looking back and thinking, nobody had those expectations but myself. I put ideas in people's heads, and I had this idea for myself of what the church was like, but I never asked anybody. I never gave them the chance to prove to me. But through the whole process, my dad was extremely supportive, and so was my grandma. And it wasn't until 
probably a couple hours after she was born and I was sitting there and I was holding her and I was like, Oh my God. And I just remember holding her. My dad had stepped out of the room and I was praying and I was like, girl, what are we going to do? Like this is a conversation I'm having with an infant. I'm like, girl, what are we going to do? And she just looked at me and she's like, I don't know. You're my mom. You tell me, what are we going to do? And so I'm like, that's a good point. And I, at that moment, I just felt God tell me, he was like, you know, I got you. I know you feel alone because while my dad was super supportive and so was my grandma, I was dating my now husband at the time. He is not her biological father. Um, but I remember telling him a couple weeks later and he was so supportive. And, you know, I was like so thankful for him. But in this moment, I'm sitting here. I don't have her dad. I just have mine, my grandma, and nobody else knows. Like, it's just us. And I remember thinking like, God just telling me like, I got you. An answer is going to come. We're going to figure this out. And my dad steps back in the room and he tells me, he's like, Michaela, you know, we're really close to these people in our lives. They have really struggled for years to have a child. Why don't we call them? And at first I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I was almost a little bit offended because I was like, she's my baby. Like I just went through, I had a natural delivery. Um, she was a huge. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know what this is like? And you want me just to give them away? And he was like, no, Michaela, like, just think about it. Think about the life that she could have that, you, that we could never give her. And my dad was so supportive in the fact that it's not the love that we can't give her. It's the tangibility that, it's not the fact that she wouldn't be so loved with us because that's what I wrestled with. I was like, does he think that somebody else could love her more? And he was like, no, it's not that. And it's not that she would know any different, but that you and I would know every day you would wrestle with that guilt as a mom that I'm not doing enough, that I'm not going to be good enough for her because I'm this age or I'm not going to be good enough because how am I going to finish my high school diploma, let alone get a bachelor's degree and all of these things. And so the short answer is my dad and my grandma. <laughs> so then you give them a call and what did the adoption happen there before you guys left the hospital? Did it, was it kind of a more lengthy process? Yes. What did that look like for you? So we, uh, we give them a call and they were like, are you sure? Because if that calls you randomly on, you know, a Monday afternoon and tells you this. And so we were like, yeah, I think I am. I think I'm sure, you know, I've wrestled with this a lot. And I oddly, no matter how quickly upset I got at my dad, I still felt like, wow, what if this is the answer? Because I remember, like, I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, they're good people. They're good people. We see them. And I start thinking about all the things that they have. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like that. And I think about, you know, my childhood wasn't ideal. Uh, my dad was a single dad. And so I remember thinking, like, I know that struggle of being raised by one parent. And I know what that's like. And I'm like, they have a beautiful Catholic marriage. They're this happy family. And so we call them and they're like, yeah, we're on our way. And so within an hour, they were at the hospital. And she left with them. Um, legally, it was not finalized, but she had left with them. And then over the course of about six or seven months, um, it was because I didn't really go through an agency. It was a much easier process for us. But over that course of time, we, I met with a lawyer a few times just to discuss the legalities of like, you're really severing your rights. Um, 
and to you know, talk about the idea of a biological father and how the law in our state plays into that and all of those things. And everything, you know, kind of just went, it honestly went really smoothly in our case. And a lot of it was the Lord, you know, because I think he knew that I was in this place of such distress because not only am I 17 years old, and so my hormones already are crazy, I just had a baby. I'm still trying to put on this persona at school that my life is okay. and so. I think he was really just like, you know, you can't take much more of this. So we need to make this process as smooth as possible to really encourage you. And so I met a lawyer a few times and we discussed those legality things. And then the court system part of it, I was never involved in. Uh, And I think that was great because I don't really think I could have faced that end of things. So from our end, it went rather smoothly. (laughs) I think a lot of times when we talk about adoption, there is an emphasis placed on that decision that day of deciding to to choose adoption to make it an adoption plan. What about after the adoption? What does your relationship look like now with your daughter and throughout this whole process, throughout the years, and with the family who adopted her? Um, yeah, it's definitely much harder than people let on. So this idea of open adoption, that's something that I really struggled with is because when I originally heard open adoption, closed adoption. There was no option for a closed adoption in our case. We know them personally. And so open adoption was the, really the only option. And in the beginning, I felt like that was such an amazing thing. I was like, I will get to have this intimate relationship. And then as I you know, matured and as she matured and as our relationship matured, while I do still see her and I have contact, I really wrestle with you know, the things that moms wrestle with about parenting things and you know decisions that they're making and learning that that's not my place and really finding my place they're amazing people and they make amazing decisions for her every day but especially now that I'm a mom I really think like is that what I would have done or is that what how I would have done it or having opinions even on her name so that's a big thing I did not name her and so just having that idea of like well what would I have named her I know what I would have named her. And so, you know, just different decisions in her everyday life. And then even the painful things of feeling like you should be allowed to be more involved or that you should be less involved or she's still a child, like she's not even five years old. And so how do you explain this to a five-year-old? So knowing your place in that relationship. Um, So while we do have this beautiful relationship and I get to see her grow up and I know that she's safe and she'll look back and think, hey, Michaela was always there. It's also way harder on the moms than you start to think. And so like for me, when I first made the adoption plan and in her first year of life, I kept a very detailed journal because I was under this impression that one day she's going to find out and I can't wait until we tell her. This is going to be so amazing and it's going to be the best thing ever. And she's going to read this journal and she's going to know exactly how I felt the entire time. And then as I think I started to heal, I started to write less and less because I wasn't hanging on to that fact of one day she's going to find out because I started to mature and realize that maybe that's not what's best for her. Why do I want to tell her? Is it because I want the satisfaction of her knowing that I'm her mom? or because I want her to have answers to her questions. And then I had to face the reality of what if she never has questions? What if because they are such great parents, 
that's enough for her. How am I going to handle that? And that's something I wrestle with every day. I mean, my husband is the same boyfriend I had. And when I've made my adoption plan and him and I wrestle with that because he was such an intimate part of the decision, even though he's not her biological father, that we think about how are we going to include her in our family? Is she going to want to be included in our family because she knows us? And so going forward, I think my biggest thing is it's a lot harder than you expect. So even though we do have this relationship, it is not easy. Yeah, and probably even even more so because you are friends with the family who adopted her, that it's it's not something that, yeah, was a, a decision that you made and then it was a closed adoption and you don't know, but this is something that, yeah, that you interact with and you're reminded of very, incredibly regularly. Yeah, and you even have to take into account the relationship that you have with those people previously because if it's a stranger, you have less worries of kind of hurting their feelings and it sounds awful. Obviously, you want to be mindful of their feelings, but there's not that relationship where you know them and you're like, oh, I know this will get them. So now in our relationship, you feel more hesitant sometimes to express your feelings. And I think that definitely comes from both sides because it doesn't just affect you two. It affects everyone who knows you. And you have more of a tendency to take it personally because of that relationship you have previously. Versus if you pick it a, you know, the stereotypical, if you pick a couple out of a book and you interview them, they have no grounding on your life and your day-to-day, what you're really doing and the people you interact with because they don't know them. And so it opens up a large array of issues that I don't think we anticipated at all. I know I did not when I made the plan. I'd love to know a little bit more about what healing has looked like in your story as a Catholic woman. Yeah. So healing for me has been a roller coaster. Um, at first, it was journaling. I felt like I was having that intimate relationship with her every day by letting her know how loved she was, how letting her know that every decision I was making, I still looked to her and this idea that she, where her location was. And as the time went on, I healing looked like Mary. So when I converted, my, my RCIA class was not uh, as in-depth as I would have liked looking back. And so I really had no true understanding of Our Lady. I remember I went to Krakow, Poland with the John Paul II project the summer of 2019. And I remember I'm sitting, I don't know if you've ever been to Poland, but it's absolutely gorgeous. And I'm sitting at this um, it's Our Lady of Fatima shrine in um, Zakopane, Poland. And I'm sitting there and the people of Poland built this shrine as a thank you for JP2 surviving being his assassination attempt. And I'm sitting there on the steps and our, one of my friends is talking about Our Lady of Fatima. And I'm like, okay, guys, I raise my hand and I'm like, I've heard this term thrown around a lot. Who the heck is Our Lady? Is this another level of sainthood? Like, how do you become an Our Lady from a saint? And everybody is cracking up and I'm like, I am so serious right now. <laughs> and and they are like, okay. They explained to me, and I'm like, okay, this this makes sense. This is like, this is kind of poetic. Like, this is awesome. And I remember walking back to behind the church, and there's this absolutely gorgeous uh, mosaic of John Paul II coming, and he has his right hand man who's helping him, and he's crutching in, and he's sitting on this big chair, and the people of Poland are coming to you know give him praise. 
for surviving and to thank Our Lady. And in front of this mosaic is this statue of Our Lady of Fatima. And I remember for no apparent reason, I just broke down sobbing. And I remember feeling for the first time, Our Lady be like, I understand. And me just like, what do you understand? And her just like, the Stations of the Cross were along us. And I remember, I've never prayed the Stations of the Cross until that day. And I just remember her saying like, pray the Stations of the Cross and you'll understand what I understand. And so I went and I prayed the Stations of the Cross and I came and I sat back down. And I just remember this aching feeling of her saying, I know this loss too, and it's okay. And so my healing really came from this, from that point on, this relationship with Mary, of feeling this intimacy that, you know, we both had a child. So this intimacy in motherhood. And then this intimacy in knowing that, you know, something else, there's another plan that like, ideally, I'll, I like to think of the idea that I'm sure that Mary isn't like, well, this is ideal. <laughs> you know, all the things that happened to Jesus. And that, but she knew that there was something better for Jesus. And I relate to that. And I know that there was something better for my daughter. And while Mary could have given Jesus an awesome life, her and Joseph, me and my Joseph could have given her an awesome life too. And so I really, I sat there and I thought, I was like, you know, Mary really has her arms around me. And then as my trip in Poland went along, we were hiking at the top of this mountain in Zakopane where JP2 used to take all these people. And I have knee issues, so I didn't make it all the way to the top, but I stopped and I spent two hours praying there. And now that I know who Our Lady is, I'm, you know, praying to her, doing my thing. And my husband and I weren't married yet. We weren't even engaged. And I remember her saying to me, like, Michaela, it all fits. Your Joseph isn't her dad, but he loves her and he loves you like my Joseph. And I love you and I understand. And from this point forward, you don't have to do this alone. Like we will conquer motherhood together and what that looks like. And from then on, I just feel like things became so much easier because I developed this relationship with Mary. I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, that so does. Oh my goodness. Yes. I think too often it is easy to put Mary up on a pedestal and think, oh, the blessed mother, free from original sin, never struggled with sin or temptation. So she's, she's up there and she's not tangible and she's not relatable. And then the way that you shared the line that I just kept chewing on while you were sharing this is healing look like Mary. And that is incredible because that, I think your story is just puts on display in such a beautiful way the maternity of Mary that is tangible and not only for Jesus as a f- the physical mother of our Lord, but then also her spiritual maternity and how she came and accompanied you. That is incredible. Yeah. And for my situation, for my mother is not heavily involved in my life in any way. And so when I really discovered who Our Lady was, I was almost like ecstatic. I was like, oh my gosh, I have a mom. You're telling me I've had a mom this whole time? To finally get to really dive into that relationship with her and almost have that support now that I never felt I had when I made my adoption plan. So yeah, my dad is awesome and so is my grandma. But as a woman and as a child, you always long for your mother. And so to not have my physical earthly mom be present in this situation, 
I felt so empty. And that's something that I carried for so long because my mom didn't, wasn't involved and still wasn't involved up until, you know, 2019 when I went to Poland. And so that encounter with Mary not only filled a void for the relationship I had, you know, with my own mom, but also how to become a mom. Because one of the reasons I made my decision was I have never seen a good mom. I have an awesome grandma. I have two awesome grandmas, but to actually see a mom in the home who is all the things that you think mothers should be like, that's hard. And it's scary to face motherhood with never having that. And so encountering Mary in this way of her being like, I will show you because up until then I was so scared to become a mom. And that's something I told my husband. I was like, I, he has a wonderful mom who is the best of the best. And so I always told him, especially in our marriage, I I am so scared. You have this expectation of a mother and other people have this expectation of a mother. I didn't have anybody to look up to. I didn't have somebody who I experienced that in my day-to-day life as a kid. And that's one of the reasons I made the decision I made because I didn't want to, I never wanted my child to feel like my mother made me feel here on earth. And so that relationship with Mary really showed me that, you know, I'm your mom. I'll show you that when the days get hard, when the nights get long with a baby, I'm there for you. So like now we are foster parents. We don't have any biological children, but I, we have a nine month old in our home. And so there was a time she was going through sleep regression. And so I'm just up and I'm crying and I'm like, Mary, please. And she's just like, Michaela, I understand. And so I think that leads back to every single thing leads back to that moment of healing for me that Mary understands. And she's there. And through this adoption, I gained that relationship with her. I gained an intimate understanding of her and she gained an intimate understanding of me. That's beautiful. I love that she plays such a key role in that journey to healing. When we were first talking about this episode, you have a line in this email that you sent me that I loved, which, and you said, choosing life in any way is motherhood. Can you tell me a little bit about what motherhood has looked like in your daily life during your pregnancy, through the adoption process, um, and afterward? Through the adoption process and through, well, honestly, through my pregnancy, I did not feel motherhood. And I know that's one of the things that I really struggled with is this idea that you hear about some moms who have a baby and they're like, oh my gosh, the second I became pregnant, I feel like a mom. Like, this is awesome. I never felt that. And so I was really struggling with that too. And then going forward through the adoption process, the second she was born, I just, knew. I was like, oh my goodness, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to be a mom. And so motherhood through that whole adoption process was really just making that sacrifice. Because on paper and in the movies, motherhood is this, you know, every day you're waking up and you're cooking and cleaning for your kids and you're making them breakfast and you're greeting them with a smile. And what it really is, is a whole lot of sacrifice and a whole lot more tears. I, and so motherhood for me really looks like that sacrifice that I love you so much that I'm not going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do what gives you a better life. Do I want to wake up every single day and face the fact that I'm not waking up next to you? No. Right now, I long so much for these long nights and to be woken up every two hours or three hours. And I long to hold you and I long for physical motherhood. But I'm living that every day and knowing that I'm putting you first. 
that what's better for you will not always be better for me. And that's the choice I made. And so through that whole adoption process, I really hung on to that, that sacrifice. And even now afterwards in my day-to-day life, it changes how I encountered the entire world. I'm also a teacher. And so encountering how I you know, see my students, how I have this nurturing and this love now that I don't think I ever had. I remember a couple of days ago, I'm FaceTiming my grandma because we live on Guam and our foster child pukes all in my hair, <laughs> you know, for the baby thing. And I say, I say to my grandma, I'm like, you know, I'm really glad that I did what I did for my daughter because at 17, I could have never been as chill as I am right now about this. I would have been so upset. And now I'm like, this is my life. I needed to shower anyway. And I just move on. And so motherhood is also patience. Like I, at 17, you're selfish. You don't have patience. You don't have anything. And so the second I became a mom, my selfishness went out the window because I couldn't be. And my patients were still working. And so as this process has gone on, I'm still working on my patients, but I am able to encounter things so differently because I look at them through this lens of motherhood. I look at these children that I encounter because Guam has a very impoverished population and they have over 500 foster children on the island. And so I look at these children and I think I can provide you with this motherhood while you're in my classroom. I can provide the children in our home with this motherhood because I was given this capacity to love by having my daughter and this capacity to sacrifice. You know, we live on a beautiful island. We could be doing other things with our time than raising children. And so, especially as young married people. And so motherhood has looked like giving myself up, giving myself up to God's plan giving myself up to him for these opportunities because we talked about foster care and then because it's always been on my heart since having my daughter that I wanted to be part of making life more tangible for a mom that Guam is all Catholic and so I think it's very hard to choose life because you're so scared of what might happen and that was one of the things that scared me I thought to myself if I don't pick a family or I don't take her home, she's going to foster care. And you hear these horrible things about foster care. And I'm like, I never want that for my child. And so afterwards, I looked back and I'm like, I don't want that for other women. Like, this is what I can do now to support women is share that motherhood I have. That there are some women who being a mom is not for them right now. They're not in that place. But I can share this motherhood that I got from having my daughter and that experience of going through adoption with them and provide a loving, safe home for their children in my classroom or in my home. If someone is listening, maybe they press play on this episode because they find themselves in a similar situation that you did when you were 17 and maybe they're considering adoption. What pieces of advice or encouragement would you give to her? It's double the love. That by allowing your child to be adopted, you are giving them the opportunity to feel your love as a mother and somebody else's. You are never, you know, it's never that you couldn't love that child. It's that you love that child enough to give them more. And because I think it's this common misconception that if you place your baby for adoption, you don't love them. You don't want to be a mom. 
No, I love him so much that I want to live out my motherhood in sacrifice and in a different way than yours. And that in itself is hard. And so that's another thing. I will never tell anyone that it's going to be easy, ever. But motherhood's hard. Waking up with an infant is hard. And so you're just choosing a different kind of hard. But the benefits outweigh the cost, in my opinion, every day. Because I see how loved she is, how beautiful she is, how smart she is, and how happy she is. And then how happy I am. So that's the other thing is motherhood is taking care of yourself. I could never do the things that I do now. Or even if I could have, it wouldn't have been as easy. So I, in the time since her placement, I've graduated high school. I've gotten married. I've gotten a bachelor's degree. I've gotten a job. I've started, you know, master's program. All of those things would have been so much harder to do with a child. So not only am I giving her more opportunities, I'm giving myself opportunities to be somebody that when she looks back, if she ever finds out that I'm her mom, that she can say, I'm proud of her. That's a woman who made the sacrifice for me, who loves me, and who never let that sacrifice stop that pain from that sacrifice, stop her from being the best woman for Christ that she could be. She experienced the world, and she is still my mom. How can we, as Catholic women, support women who choose life in these types of pregnancy situations and, or maybe another way to phrase this is what what resources do you wish that you would have had when you were navigating that decision when you were 17? Yeah. First and foremost, just somebody to talk about it. If you are a woman who has gone through this, somebody that has gone through this, because when one of the reasons I reached out is because I felt like when I was looking, I was researching and researching and researching Everything was like this secular idea of adoption or this Protestant idea of adoption. And that's wonderful. But sometimes as Catholics, and I've seen this a lot as a convert, we can be a little judgmental without meaning to be. And so we really can look at people and be like, well, that is a sin, especially in the younger, like us us high school kids, because you're not looking at it through the lens of a sin. You're looking at it through, I cannot believe she would do that. And so just that openness, willing to talk about it and love. When I listened to the one podcast about, you know, baby showers for women in need, and I thought, you know, if a program like that was at my church, I wouldn't have sat there and thought about all the people in the pews eyeing me down and not respecting my choice. I would have known that there would have been somebody there to greet me and love me and be excited because that's the other thing. Be excited for them. You know, Pregnancy is pregnancy and life is life. And that is so gorgeous that it doesn't matter what the circumstances were beforehand. I'm bringing a new follower to the Catholic church and to the world. I'm bringing a beautiful baby. And so for that, my sin of premarital sex and being young and doing these things to overshadow the fact that my child is going to be a gorgeous saint one day is hard. And that's what we can do as Catholic women is we can reach out to that mom. We can celebrate her. We can say congratulations and not 
in a way that's like, oh, this is my obligation to tell you congratulations because that's what you tell pregnant women. But to genuinely mean, I'm so excited for you and I cannot wait. Because, you know, part of being pregnant is that excitement. But being pregnant when you're not intending to be pregnant and, you know, you're bearing your sin, that overshadows a lot of it. And so having other people to encourage you that it is exciting helps you to feel excited. I love just that encouragement to make space for others to be seen in that and not ignoring or dismissing that situation, but instead, yeah, being able to be truly present and receive others and their entire story is so powerful um, and can make such a difference when it comes to, yeah, to life as a Catholic woman, but to life within a community and especially within a parish for sure. Makila, one question that I ask Every woman who comes on the podcast, and and I have loved listening to you answer this question subconsciously throughout this entire show, um, but I, I would love to hear your answer to this last question, which is, how do you live out the feminine genius, especially as a woman who chose life, who chooses life, and who made an adoption plan? Oh, every day. Um, I think a lot of it is, I, so I'm a huge John Paul II person, and that's how I honestly stumbled across the podcast, because... I am looking up all things John Paul II all the time. And so I, my biggest thing is this idea that as a woman, I was able to do this because I'm a woman. That I'm able to bear this every single day. And that honor and that joy that, you know, for in my situation, and some women's situations are different, there was no male counterpart to the situation. Um, it was just me and it was my decision. And so to know that I was strong enough, that my feminine genius and these unique characteristics that God gave me through Mary and through life allowed me to do this for my child is amazing. Because I look at other women and you know who aren't Catholic and don't understand the beauty of the feminine genius really struggle with adoption and to be like, well, how is that motherhood? You know, that's, you know, I'm just giving it up. And I was like, no, you are by, give, by giving it up, which is, I, I encourage people to never use that term. Uh, and that's another way that you can help women is, you know, placing your child for adoption is the correct terminology. But I, you know, encourage women to really look into that idea of uniquely being a woman. God made you with these unique strengths and unique ability to love something so much that you'll do what's better for it. And this obviously goes back to Mary because she's the epitome of the feminine genius and this idea that she loved us so much that she, you know, allowed Jesus to go through this suffering for us, that she gave her only son so that we could live this better life. And so my feminine genius was living with her, that I'm living out this, you know, what can be really hard some days. And some days I don't even really think about it. There are days I go through, through my day-to-day life and until I sit down to reflect and pray, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about her today. And then I get this guilt. And then I hear Mary say to me, like, okay, let's cause you're, You're doing all these other things I gave you to do. Like you're living, you did think about her today. 
through that feminine genius and through every child that you encountered in your classroom and you encountered them with this motherly instinct and every child, the child you encountered in your home, maybe her name didn't pop into your head, but the strength that she gave you came into your heart and you gave to that person. And so I live out my feminine genius, I guess, through just being me. Like, I know that's probably not what you want, you know, but like, <laughs> just through being me. That's it. I think we, <laughs> I think the feminine genius can be so easy to think of as, oh, this, it's this pie in the sky deal or it's never, it's never attainable for the day to day, but that's it. That is it. The feminine genius is being you fully alive as you are and and impacted by the life that you've lived and the joys and crosses you've experienced and life fully alive as a Catholic woman looks like you fully alive as Michaela. So that's exactly, that's exactly what I, I love hearing. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I was like, that doesn't sound like the best answer I could probably give, but that's what boils down to. No, that is it. You hit the feminine genius nail on the head. This has been beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing this part of your heart, this part of your story. I've loved seeing the Marian notes throughout all of it. That has been absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for having me and giving me this opportunity to not only, like, part of my healing is being able to share with other women and you know, giving women what I didn't have that I hope now when somebody goes through a Google search engine and they're like, Catholic women adoption, that this is something that comes up for them so that they're not sitting there alone thinking nobody else knows what I'm going through. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. Check out the show notes for my conversation with Michaela over at letterstowomenpodcast.com or just scroll down to browse through links to check out resources that we mentioned in the show, as well as a link to the little Catholic box so you can get an exclusive bonus available only to Letters to Women listeners in your box. Remember that box will ship the first week of November, so sign up by the end of September. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you're an Apple user, it would be so appreciated if you left Letters to Women a quick review. Let me know how I'm doing and tell other Catholic women what you like about the show. I love reading through reviews and getting to know you better as a listener and learning how to shape the show in the future based on your thoughts and your feedback. Check out all the behind the scenes info over on my Instagram account at letters to women underscore podcast. I love diving into topics covered in podcast episodes, sharing quotes from guests that stuck out to me during the show. And then I love talking with you in the comments and DMs and emails. This is how Michaela and I got connected. So I would love to connect with you as well. That is all I have for today's episode. So until next time, be not afraid.